going to be a long one, I think, which I kind of dread because the editing process is really pain in the ass, but it is what it is. There's a lot going on, but I'm going to start with a couple things. It's personal, trivial things. One is that I talked last week how I was kind of dreading the track a bit and kept going. I've gone a lot. I haven't stopped, but I've, I don't know. I feel like I'm dialing it in a little bit. Uh, yesterday I went, it was raining out, still went. And I've been doing, instead of doing the fast sprint, I've been doing a hundred meters fast, 300 meters slow, hundred meters fast, 300 meters slow for a mile and a half. Then the last half mile, I do two miles every time. I'll do hundred meters fast, hundred meters slow, hundred meters fast. So half of it is at that six minute mile, sub six minute mile pace. And half of it is super slow. And I actually was enjoying that. But then yesterday I went, I was doing my two miles about three quarters of a mile in. I felt like one of my hamstrings, not the one that I popped, started feeling tight. And that I probably shouldn't in the rain be doing these fast hundred meters. So I just did all of it slow the rest of the way. And it's, it's hard for someone like me. I have a goal. I'm like going to go and do these fast, slow, fast, slow. And I have a whole thing planned out. To be like, no, I failed. I'm just going to do the whole thing slow. I wasn't like that winded, but it was just, you know, I'm 51. And I, last time I ignored the feeling I had in my leg, I popped a hamstring. So I just went slow. But then I was like in such a weird zone that I was like, and I wanted to finish up. I did. I got to the two mile mark and I was like, just keep going. Just keep going. Make sure that you're running for at least half an hour. So I just kept going. I did another half mile slow. And it's kind of a good feeling to pass your goal. I didn't do it because I had to make up for not doing the fast ones. I just did it because why should I stop? Because I had pre-planned the stop. Why should I force myself to do the fast ones? Because I had pre-planned to do it that way when I just had a tiny message from my left hamstring, the one that is not injured, to back off a bit. So... I'm just going to keep going and keep experimenting, but it's, uh, it's interesting. You have this plan and you want to execute the strategy and then you have these other things that come up and you have to in improvise. We'll see. It's probably kind of dull for you guys, but just as uh, if I can just keep going and it's going to, the weather's going to get worse. It's going to rain more. It's going to be chilly. It's never really that cold here though. I used to run in New York around the reservoir when it was, you know, 15 degrees out. So this is, this is nothing here. It never gets cold like that, but we'll see. We'll see where, where it goes, what happens, whether I even just, it ends up being something else, whether I end up doing longer distances, which I never really wanted to do. My ankles held up. I don't really have any ankle pain. And this is even though on Saturday and Sunday, I went right next to the track to the basketball court and played with Sasha on the concrete and actually played two on two with Sasha's friend and her dad and Sasha on, on Sunday. And so I was jumping and actually playing a bit on the concrete court in running shoes. My ankle's just fine. So it's a good sign. Um, hasn't really acted up. Maybe I can do a little bit more without injuring myself. So that's that. That's going well. It's I, I realize like I dread it just as much. Like I don't want to get up. I don't, I'm tired. I didn't get enough sleep. I don't want to get on the dank metro to get there and walk and deal with it. But I actually have noticed now that it's week three since I got back into it, that the actual experience of the running is getting easier. And I stopped doing that fast quarter mile. I'll probably go back to it at some point, but I realized I was dreading it too much. It's just too painful. So I'm just doing the stuff that keep me there. So 
but I, I just feel like the actual experience of the running is, is getting better, even though psychologically before I go, I'm still, I just have to go out of habit. And then when I get there, it's actually easier and I enjoy it a little bit. So we'll see where that goes. Other thing, I don't know if I talked about this, but it just occurred to me. So I've got this, I bought this electric shaver in Berlin like six years ago. And at some point, it was like 35 bucks, but at some point I dropped it and knocked it off the counter a couple of times and it broke. And the way in which it broke was that when you put it in the charging, the charging module or whatever you want to call it, the edges of the electric shaver um, weren't totally flush against the metal pieces, electrodes or whatever they are on the, the charging station. And so it wouldn't charge. And so genius that I am, I figured out that it was because one of them had been kind of smushed in from the fall. So I, I took a guitar pick. I have a couple soft guitar picks and I would wedge it in, obviously when it was turned off before it's plugged in, wedge it in between the edge of the shaver and the metal thing and just wedge the pick in. And then when I put it in the charger, it was touching and it would get a charge. But this was a pain in the ass. It was hard to like wedge that thing in. And when I traveled to the States with my adapter and my shaver, I had to bring a guitar pick. And every time, you know, I needed a charge, I'd have to like wriggle it in. And then to make matters worse, the housekeeper would always see this like guitar pick sticking out and she would always put it somewhere. She just thought that was like, I don't know what she thought, like why that was there, but we didn't really communicate about it. And then I'd have to find out, I'd have to figure out like where in the basket of toiletries that she put the pick and then do it again every time. So I lived like this for maybe three, four years, I want to say. And then I don't know what happened. Maybe the pick got lost or broken, but, and I didn't have another soft enough one. And then it just occurred to me, why don't I just take the, the tweezers or whatever, and then just bend the metal permanently so that it just goes back in. Great idea. So I did it. And now it just charges like it was never broken. So for like three years, I was wedging a plastic guitar pick into this thing to jerry-rig it to make it work without even having it occur to me that I could just fix it permanently with just, you know, bending it with the tweezers one time for like 10 seconds. So anyway, genius stuff. That I spent my time doing, and I still have this. It's like a 35 euro charger. The euro was 120 at that point. So, hey, it's like 38 bucks. So, anyway, that's that. But there's a lot to talk about, a lot of stuff going on. And I feel like, in general, the tide is turning. Like, I am just out there in a way that I have not been going kind of scorched earth on Twitter about how not only did the pharmaceutical companies and the government lie about the vaccine stopping the spread and using that as the basis for mandates and all sorts of other restrictions and advocating for make the vaccinated lives of the vaccinated miserable and all this horrible stuff that they were doing. Um, and that was based on a lie, but now they're lying and saying they never said that it stopped the spread. And then you think, well, that's even worse. Cause that means you did all this stuff while not even thinking it stopped the spread. Why were you force injecting people, costing people their jobs? If you knew all along that it didn't stop the spread, that's even worse. So they're really, it's kind of really, really falling apart. And now, okay, so we all know, and even people, even the normies who argue with me, who are like, well, yeah, okay, fine. You know, they, 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 you know, misled us, but the facts changed, but they did mislead us, but I'm not that mad about that. That's okay. You know, they, they were doing their best. They were whatever excuse they make. So they're trying to, basically they have to, the, the, the totally not insane ones, at least have to jettison pretty much everybody at this point has to jettison the premise that it stopped the spread and that all this thing they said, oh, you won't get this if you're, if you're vaccinated. That was just a flat out lie. They have to jettison that. 
but they're trying to still salvage the core belief system around that. They're still trying to salvage, but they're still the good guys, but it still helped, but it was a mistake, but okay, I'm not that mad about that. I could forgive that. They're trying to, you know, hold it together, the worldview, even though a giant piece of it, which is like, wait, it doesn't stop the spread, but they mandated. Oh, I'm not that mad about mandates. You know, we had mandates for childhood. They try to justify it, right? Because it's very, very painful, the cognitive dissonance of giving up everything else, but it's not working. And I promise you that if they're willing to lie flat out about the efficacy of something, and they told you to give it to your children to save granny, even though they, they knew that it's not saving anybody because it's not stopping the spread. If they told you that you had to lose your job or take this and they destroyed your livelihood and they advocated for, you know, people like DeAndre Hopkins and, and Aaron Rodgers and Cole Beasley and Kyrie Irving having their livelihoods destroyed, even though it didn't stop the spread, what else would they be willing to lie about? What else, you know, obviously they didn't care. They wanted to move product. They wanted to sell this stuff. They wanted people to be compliant. So you don't think they really just only, this is just an isolated incident. They only lied about the efficacy claim. They only lied about it stopping the spread to sell their product. They wouldn't lie. They wouldn't cut corners on safety, would they? I mean, it's not like they weren't fined $2.3 billion for falsifying data 15 years ago because they were. They've been fined multiple times. And the movie, the uh, what's that movie? The, the Fugitive, the Harrison Ford movie. That's 1993. You know who the villain was? Big Pharma, who killed his wife, meaning to kill him because he had found out that they falsified data to sell a product. I mean, this is 1993. This was the premise, a plausible premise of a movie in 1993 that won a bunch of awards. They know that these places cheat. Of course, the incentives are there to cheat. You have FDAs and CDCs and NIHs that are completely captured. The incentives are all there to cheat. You got to make the money. You got to get this money before this whole thing collapses. So the incentives were in place. The people were in place. And I'll get into that a little bit more. And of course, they lied about the efficacy of the vaccine and forced it on people and cost people their livelihoods and divided families. Remember cousin Joe who couldn't come to Thanksgiving because he wasn't vaccinated. He was a danger. And you excommunicated a family member who did nothing wrong, just simply didn't want to put chemicals in his body from the, the pharmaceutical company. That's his only sin. And you made him spend Thanksgiving alone. This happened. Families got divided. Friendships got broken. Oh, but they knew all along it didn't stop the spread. I mean, you're not, you're not, this is cool. This is no problem. But again, as I said, that's just the tip of the iceberg. They lied about the efficacy. That's the tip of the iceberg. You think that's the only thing they lied about to move product? No, they lied about the safety too. Now this is coming out and there's children having heart attacks. This did not happen. When I grew up, none of my friends had heart attacks. Nobody I knew had heart attacks. I'd never heard of anyone have a heart attack under 30 ever, pretty much. I think Hank Gathers was the first one, you know, in the whole world that I'd heard. Obviously Len Bias, but he had done a boatload of cocaine the night before. So that's a little bit different, but- People just don't get heart attacks at age 13, 14. That just doesn't happen naturally. Kids playing sports just get a heart attack and die. That doesn't happen when you're growing up. They're trying to normalize that. Like, oh, children can get heart attacks. Yeah, they can get strokes. No, they don't. That's not a thing. So now this is happening and there's doctors coming out and saying it. There's studies. A lot of the European countries have said, you know, if you're under 50, do not take this. You know, the Denmarks of the world, these, these places that are, considered pretty uncaptured. They were captured too. I, I saw an interview from a, a Danish scientist saying that, you know, people think of that as a very uh, uncorrupt society, but, you know, in terms of uh, pharmaceutical companies owning key members of the government and in the medical establishment, it's, th it's there too. So anyway, just put a pin in that. We'll get back to it. But this is really, this is coming out. And normally, you know, on Twitter, people were attacking me just for saying, Hey, I don't think people should mandate medicine. It's wrong. And they were saying, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're killing people. I got this for a year. People in my mentions, I wasn't going and arguing with people 
going to their feeds and arguing with them. They were coming to me. All these people were, were screaming at me and trying to mock me. Those people don't mock me. They don't say a goddamn word. They're probably hiding and forgetting the whole discussion now. They're probably embarrassed. I would be embarrassed, or maybe they just don't have shame and they don't care. But either way, it's, it's truly embarrassing. I'd be truly mortified if I had gone and attacked somebody for being against mandates and insulting them publicly. And then it starts to come out that you were lied to, that you were duped, and that the people that were smart were the people who had skepticism, who actually were scientific about it and said, you know, I don't trust other people with huge for-profit motives. That's not scientific. That's religious faith. That's like trusting your priest. That's like saying whatever the priest says, I, I believe, because he's got access to God, the science. The smart people just said, I don't know. I'm not sure. And the track record of these people isn't good. And I'm looking at the information that I can get, which is that people like me don't typically get that sick from this disease. Why would I do that? And why would I even consider vaccinating my kid? I mean, there's just no evidence at all. So we'll see. We'll see if anybody ever apologizes or or they're just so shameless. They're just so, you know, in the next current thing, whatever the tribe says that it's not even, it doesn't even matter. They don't even care. I don't know. It's probably like 50-50 in their minds. Whether they actually apologize, I don't know if any of them have the courage to do so. I will say one thing. I'm not going to mention this guy by name because it's confidential. I don't want to embarrass him or whatever. But one guy in the entire fantasy sports industry, he was a believer. He believed in the narrative and he uh, direct messaged me privately. And he said, I love you. I don't want you to get sick and die. I know a lot of people have gotten really sick and, and I don't know if, he, if they died, but that COVID had really screwed them up. This is before, it might've been after, yeah, it was after the vaccine was available, obviously. And he said to me, I just really you know, want you to reconsider and I urge you to take it. And I said, I appreciate that. I'm not against other people being allowed to take it. It's their choice. I didn't even say whether I had taken it. I was just like, I said, I just think the mandates are really a scourge and a dangerous precedent and I'm gonna keep speaking out, but I appreciate your reaching out. And that was the end of it. That was the conversation. He was trying to persuade me. He wasn't insulting me or demonizing me or publicly liking trolls tweets that were coming after me and were totally fucking wrong, it turns out. And it's going to be, you're going to see they're even more wrong than that, that this thing caused harm, that actually advocating for this thing wasn't neutral. It was actually harmful. And that, you know, hey, you're not an expert. Don't advocate for shit. Well, these people weren't experts either. And they were advocating hardcore for what the experts were telling them. But are they an expert in judging experts? Apparently not. So, you know, you can't just say, oh, trust the experts. Well, which experts to trust? Well, the experts. Well, are you an expert in knowing who to trust? No, you're not a fucking expert. Your judgment isn't better than mine. So why would I believe you on who to trust? I shouldn't by your own terms. Now, I don't care if someone's an expert. I'm just going to use my best judgment. But these people telling you to trust experts were not experts in whose judgment to trust. And we're finding that out now. They try to say, hey, my judgment's better than yours and who to trust. And I thought, well, it's possible it is, but I'm not betting on that. I can see you. I can see your life to the extent that it's available to me. I don't see anything so special that I need to you know, depart from my own judgment and, and go trust yours. You're entitled to yours. I'm entitled to mine. I don't know if you should trust me. You don't have access to my inner workings. You don't know if I'm right about this. I don't even like when people trust me on which football game to pick because I could be wrong. So I'm certainly not going to trust them. Anyway, we'll get back to that. But there's a lot of shit going on. So there's a crazy story. It's in Rolling Stone of all places. Woke Rolling Stone. There's a journalist. I should actually get his name. It doesn't matter. You can look at the disappeared journalist, Rolling Stone. Gordon Meek, maybe his name, Gordon Meek. And the FBI raided his house. The neighbors talked about it. You know, they saw it. 
guns are blazing, see some stuff. They allege that he had classified documents. That guy apparently resigned. He was investigating uh, something for a book about uh, the, the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. And apparently, and, and he's had like a lot of scoops. He was, a, he was 52 years old. He worked for ABC News. He was sort of a big like terrorism, national security type journalist. And he resigned from ABC and then he got raided and nobody knows where he is. Nobody has heard from him since. So this is a very weird story. This just exists. There's a lot of very weird things going on right now. This is a very strange time. So, so this journalist gets raided by the FBI, just disappears, resigns. Nobody's asking questions about it, except Rolling Stone, of all places, did a story on it. You should look this up. This is just an insane story. It's another insane story. There was a nurse named Tiffany Dover who received the, the shot you know, on camera. It was like a rollout, a PR rollout, and then like passed out or something, like really had a bad immediate adverse reaction. And she was very sick and they kind of whisked her away. And then she appeared in some later PR photo, but she looked sick in it. And then they ended up like scrubbing that photo. And no one knows what happened to her. And this guy, Jordan Schachtel, and I tweeted about this at Chris underscore list. You can, it's kind of down in my timeline now. He, he looked into it and some people said she's dead. And he saw some evidence that she was alive, but you know, did she get a settlement not to talk? She disappeared, just completely disappeared. And there's some evidence. I, didn't, I forget the exact details. He says that she's still alive and perhaps she's sick or perhaps she took a settlement, but disappeared this woman from her job, from her social media and say, you know, this journalist, social media, no more posts. He used to post all the time, disappeared them. So nurse gets an immediate on-camera adverse reaction to the shot, disappears. This journalist gets uh, raided by the FBI. He was working on something related to the Afghanistan withdrawal, disappears. So this is, this is crazy, right? This is just like, what the fuck? That doesn't just happen. Okay. Another one, another crazy thing. You know, we know this Congress was insider trading. So Nancy Pelosi's husband is making millions of dollars trading stocks with his wife privy to information about regulation that has not yet happened yet. is not yet public. And it's not just her, it's Republicans, Democrats, the, the, your Congress is insider trading. Even the federal reserve, which has the best inside information of anybody was insider trading guy had to resign. So this is just happening in plain sight. This is not like, oh, this is some sneaky, corrupt thing that you don't know about. This is just happening in plain sight. Everyone knows this. Okay, another crazy thing. Boston University, it turns out, was doing gain-of-function research, and they were able to make a more deadly Omicron strain, I believe. You can fact-check me. It's in an article. It's linked uh, on The Real Man Wood. I actually made a joke about it saying, real college has WMDs. They literally have WMDs. They have a biological weapon that's extremely dangerous that, oh, I'm, it's such a bad accident. It leaked. It just happened to leak. Wow. You know, Boston's the new Wuhan. So Boston University has WMDs and it's funded by the same group. I think it's called EcoHealth with Peter Daszak that was funded through Fauci and the NIH to do the, the Wuhan experiments. And this is happening now in Boston. Nobody cares. There's WMDs at BU. Nobody gives a fuck. If there's a spill with a more deadly version. Okay, great. I'm not saying this to make people paranoid. I mean, you can be paranoid or not. I mean, you should be paranoid about what, you know, people in power are up to generally, and especially in this sort of, while things, while institutions are dissolving, while there's really no rhyme or reason, people are doing this in plain sight. And this is just crazy. There's WMDs at Boston University. Real man attends a college with WMDs. I'm going to, if I were a kid, I would apply there right away. I want to get in early on the WMDs. But this is just, I, how is this allowed to happen? How, you know, what, who is regulating this? This is the most insane thing. I just, I can't believe that they're just doing that. Oh, oh yeah, they're taking precautions. Sure. 
And for what reason, right? Oh, well, we need to study this so we can develop better vaccines. What, a shitty vaccine that didn't stop the spread and it's killing people? That's what you developed from all your research at the Wuhan lab. So you developed something that was just a toxic, horrendous product. And, and for what? For the risk of a lab leak that, you know, killed how many people? I don't, you know, they exaggerate the figures, but it, COVID did kill a lot of people. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And made a lot of people sick. And so, you know, this is just madness. There's no payoff for this. There's no benefit. And if there is a benefit, it's vague and speculative. And the harm is obvious. We just had it. How is this allowed to happen? This is happening right under your face, right at fucking Boston University. How the fuck is that even possible? It's just unbelievable. I, I finally did cancel my PayPal account. We talked about that last week. PayPal. Oh, you said something on Twitter. You said you sent an email that came out in public and something we disagree with. You can't use the payment rail. So now we have companies just openly trying to censor you. This is stupid. It's a stupid fucking piece of software. All it does is allow you to send dollars from one person to another. It, it's like, an, you know, when you signed up for PayPal, when I did it 20 years ago, I was an early adopter. I promoted, I loved it. I was like, this is amazing. This is cool. It's something to help you pay your friend 20 bucks that you want to bet with. And then this thing, this little thing that you're paying money because you owe somebody 50 bucks or hundred bucks. Now it wants to have a say in your life of what you can say. What the fuck is going on? Who are these people? They think they can have a say in your life because they've created a bit of software that allows you to send some stuff. But, you know, PayPal is not the problem per se, right? I mean, you could always switch to Cash App or something else. But if you don't make PayPal pay for trying to control your life, then, you know, the same pressure is brought to bear on PayPal, be brought to bear on Cash App and Zelle and all the rest of them, your banks. And then they'll say, oh, I guess people are okay with this. And then once everybody is saying to use payment rails, you know, you have to be speech compliant, thought compliant. Then, you know, then we have a, a major problem. Then they're sort of doing an end run around the First Amendment. You can't even transact in society unless you have compliant speech. So I canceled PayPal. I may write something about this. I'm having trouble saying it in a way that feels original. But, but I, I, I want people to cancel it. Not because it's not. It is a great product, PayPal. I think it's a great product. But I think that convenience should be given up. The Kantian act only on that maxim. You would will to be a universal law. Because you have to send a message that if you even try to do this, you're toast, you're out. That this, this move to control speech via the rails of society, communication rails, payment rails, whatever it is, um, that's a loser. That's, that's business suicide. And that message needs to be sent. And if PayPal was the unfortunate, stupid company that went first, they're done. And maybe the next company will be like, I don't really want to put myself on the line for that. So when the Karens and the government say, hey, you know, you know, we're not going to regulate you favorably unless you put in these terms, then they're going to say, look, we don't have a choice. We'll lose our entire business. Look what happened to PayPal. I think look what happened to PayPal needs to be, you know, a warning for the, for the rest of the whole system of third-party middlemen that are trying to take control of things that they have no business controlling. It's not another business. Stay out of it. Okay. So there's that. Oh, one other crazy thing. So just the other day, Joe Biden uh, President of the United States, ostensibly, leans in to some, I don't know, she's 14, 15 year old girl. I don't know how old she was. And puts his hands on her and says something like, don't be with any serious guys until you're 30, which sounds like he's saying, have a little fun, have a little sexual fun until you're 30. So he's going up to a teenage girl he doesn't know, putting his hands on her shoulders, leaning in close and advising her to have some sexual fun until she's of a certain age. Now, let's just take a step back about this because I, I don't care about the debate of whether he's an actual pedophile or whether he's just an old creep. I think that's 
It may be important to some people, but I, I don't think that's the important takeaway from here. I don't think that's the important issue. Two things. One is, imagine if you, in your place of work, in your office, went up to a woman, not even a minor, but a grown woman who's 25, put your hands on her shoulders and leaned in and whispered, don't be with any serious guys until you're 30. Um, you'd be fired on the spot and rightly so. I mean, it's just such a ridiculous boundary violation. And this guy's doing this. But the, the real takeaway is, you know, at a minimum, he's a creepy old guy. And let's just say that, that there's nothing more to it than he's just a weird creep who likes to touch girls and, and say inappropriate things. He's the president of the United States. He knows he's in public. Somebody filmed it on a cell phone. So he's the president of the United States in public and he doesn't have the restraint. What does the hair just smell too good? You know, I mean, what is it? He doesn't have the restraint to not do this in public. This is a real problem as a, you know, character wise. So this guy's purportedly, ostensibly negotiating a proxy war with the nuclear power and that same guy does not have the emotional restraint, the restraint of his uh, desires to not put his hands on a 15-year-old girl in public and say seriously inappropriate shit. So this is the guy you want uh, working out potential World War III? So this is, this is a real problem. I mean, this is, this is, again, they disappear a nurse, they disappear a journalist, the, a college has weapons of mass destruction, Congress is insider trading, the president is so emotionally unhinged. He doesn't have the emotional or, or control of his emotions or desires to the point where he's publicly hitting on some 15 year old, you know, on film. I mean, this is just, it's incredible. All right. Another thing I read, there's a thing I tweeted about, about the unsolved mystery of repurposed drugs. So, you know, we talked about ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, Prozac apparently had some efficacy against COVID. There's this FLCC protocol that uses a whole bunch of different repurposed drugs. But there's been no clinical trials of these things until ivermectin a long time ago, and they sort of cooked the books on that too. I don't even care about the debate whether it's effective or not. I took it. I got better. I don't necessarily think it was because of the ivermectin. I didn't notice it. I've seen other people say, oh, they took it and they got better instantly. That wasn't my experience. It didn't seem to have a, at least a, a perceptible effect for me. might have helped. I have no idea. I didn't do a control group where I got sick and didn't take it, so I have no idea. So I don't really care to argue whether it works or not because I don't know. But of course it should have been tried. The reason I took it is it's been given tens of millions of people in Africa and the side effect profile is very good. Same with HCQ for malaria. It's been given to tens of millions of people. I didn't use HCQ because I couldn't get my hands on any, but I would have. You know, these are things that you know, Africans have taken by the tens of millions and it's just the side effects are not a big deal if there are any. And so I felt safe doing it because it had real world testing for you know, decades in use on human populations with no problem. These, these vaccines were Pfizer want to bury the data for 75 years, rush to market. This is not the same level of uh, real world testing and, and proof that these are safe. So that's why I went with the safe option, whether or not it worked. But the thing is they didn't even test these. The only drugs they were doing trials on were extremely expensive, big pharma drugs like remdesivir, which I think is I've read that that's killed people. Though I don't, I haven't read enough about it because I wouldn't even ever consider taking that, and a bunch of others like that. There's the bounce back one that people are taking now. That you get it, you get COVID, you take it. It helps you get better, or maybe it doesn't help, but you get better. And then you get COVID again because you took this drug. I forget that's the new drug that people are taking. The Fauci took and then had the rebound, and Biden took and had the rebound of COVID. So this is a great video. It goes into like 
the incentives, because obviously to have the emergency use vaccine, they needed to show that nothing else worked. And so they didn't test anything. Well, that's bad enough. Okay. They're, they're basically not testing possible solutions to a pandemic in order to get this vaccine emergency use authorization. And emergency use also entails no liability for the vaccine maker. But moreover, people are dying and they're not giving anybody anything to treat. Now, all these rogue doctors were, they were giving people these drugs and, you know, they reported a lot of success and said their patients weren't dying or going to the hospital because they were getting early treatment. Now, again, I took ivermectin. I didn't notice anything, but I wasn't hospitalized. I wasn't that sick. So it's impossible for me to say personally from my experience, but these doctors swore by it and they were giving these drugs and then they were being sanctioned and kicked out of their hospital and the hospitals were suing uh, not to do it. And also hospitals reimbursed and paid based on, you know, giving these pharmaceutical drugs and not the uh, off-label $5 a pill. They're giving $700 a pill drugs instead of $5 a pill drugs. And that's obviously a big part of it. So that was a very eye-opening video on the mystery of why, why they aren't giving repurposed drugs and aren't studying repurposed drugs. So that, that's, a, you know, this, this, this fraud, this, the evil that was perpetrated goes so deep on so many levels when you look at it. it it's, it's really incredible. All right. So there's that. Oh, another thing that really kind of was interesting. I listened to a podcast. It was Marty Bent's TFTC podcast. And he had this guy, Tom Luongo on. I don't really know who Tom Luongo is, but apparently he's a podcaster, personality, whatever. Anyway, he had a really, really interesting take on what's going on right now uh, globally. In his analysis, the Fed that keeps raising rates and crashing these economies around the world is actually in a sort of existential battle with the World Economic Forum and the European Union. Because the World Economic Forum, the European Union, they're sort of the communists pushing, you know, no fossil fuels and we're going to have to eat bugs and this whole, you'll own nothing and be happy, this whole agenda. And apparently the Fed which is sort of owned by these member banks, JP Morgan and other big banks, is sort of trying to crush the European economies upon which these, I'm probably doing a bad job summing up his reasoning, and he goes very deep into the plumbing of the system and stuff that I'm not exactly clear on. Um, but, but his thesis is that this is sort of a, a fight between warlords or mafia dons, and you, know, you, you gotta kind of get out of the way. And he's like, own Bitcoin, dollars, precious metals, whatever but just get the hell out of the way while these mafia dons are fighting to the death. So apparently he thinks that Powell is going to keep raising rates and break plenty of things and that the Europe and the Euro getting crushed is not an accident and that there's different factions picking different sides in this battle. And I think the banks, I think he says this, but I've heard this before that if you have a central bank digital currency where, you know, you just have account at the central bank and you don't have a bank account at a, a regular bank, then these sort of bureaucrats own you because you can't even transact without permission, right? Everything is surveilled. Everything is in the central bank's ledger. Everything you do depends on a central bank rather than all these different smaller bank credit unions, whatever else. And so the banks like JP Morgan won't survive that, right? They'll just be sort of, they'll be the middleman that get eliminated when you bank directly with the Fed. And it won't be a central bank currency and you'll just have complete uh, bureaucratic control of your entire life. And apparently, you know, this is sort of existential for them too. And so Powell and Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan are on one side and these oligarchs and, and, and sorry, those are oligarchs too, but the European oligarchs and Klaus Schwab and the, 
the EU, Ursula van der Leyen, all these, all these EU and old money from Europe is on the other side. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if what he's saying is true. I just thought it was very thought provoking that, you know, there's clearly large and powerful factions making big moves using COVID as an opportunity. I don't know who, again, like I think it was, it was obviously came from the lab. I, I don't know whether it was intentionally released or it was an accident, but to the extent that it was intentional or just an accident that was a huge opportunity, there's clearly, obviously, factions trying to capitalize on this, you know, trying to helicopter and all this money and then say, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to get a vaccine in every arm. These are power plays. These are plays for control. But what he's saying, it's not all one monolithic group. These are, you know, opposing warring factions that actually hate each other and they're fighting each other and people are just sort of collateral damage in a shootout, you know, between a couple of rival gangs. Anyway, that was a very interesting way to look at it. And that Powell's basically saying, you know, we're going to raise rates until we break you completely. And that the European cartel, this WF cartel, is trying to destroy the US internally, politically, this sort of woke nonsense that, you know, they're trying to give all their kids these gender surgeries and, and stuff when they're 12 years old, all this stuff that's sort of undermining and causing di division and damaging the health of the culture and damaging the health of people. So it's sort of this war. And he, he, he thinks that Russia, you know, Russia's job was just to kind of provide fuel and, and food and shut up. And uh, Russia is refusing to go along. Hold on. Oscar, no, no. Sorry, Oscar was jumping on the bed here and bed was pulled out for Heather's friend. It's not supposed to be. Anyway, so, you know, that, that's his theory. Again, I don't know if it's true, but it just really like made me think because not only was he, you know, he, he seemed to like, it wasn't just like off the cuff. I mean, he, he was backing it up with a lot of analysis and, and information. It wasn't just like he was just saying this the way I am. He actually had some explanations behind it that I, I can't verify if they're true, but it just made me think about it differently. Like, yeah, what if, you know, of course, right? Like if you, if you look at like history, there's always warring factions and does the populace know exactly what's going on? You know, does the populace really understand what, the, who, who really is in the war or behind the scenes? Like who's really against whom of the elites? Probably not. If you watch like Game of Thrones, right? Like there's, there's rivalries within the clans and there's rivalries between the clans and they're still fighting the White Walkers in the end. It would make sense that there's rivalries between the elites and maybe the stakes are just very high right now and that this is sort of the backdrop. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. All right. So one other thing that, that went down, I wrote a, a piece called The Racism of the Midwits. And basically my argument was that the midwit fallacy is the Nassim Taleb thing. And I, I cited him, even though I know he's gone crazy since COVID and went crazy over Bitcoin. He had a falling out with the Safe Dean Amos. But he said, you know, never cross a river that's on average four feet deep. And what does that mean? It means the average depth of the river is not important. What's the average four feet could be, it could be two feet for half the river and it could be 20 feet for 20 meters. And then it could get shallow again. And you would drown during that 20 meter stretch. You can't cross the river and not meaning swim, meaning like if you have horses and things to carry across the river, don't cross the river. That's on average four feet deep, right? The average is not the important information. The important information are the maximums and minimums and, and how that average is distributed. So, okay, that's a pretty obvious point, but it actually is the fallacy of the midwit. The midwit thinks the average is the same thing as the, the truth. They mistake the average for the truth, or they put it differently. They think that what is generally true 
can be said to be true of the specifics. Another way to put this is, let's say you have a choice between doing X or Y and X is more likely to happen generally than Y. So you put your money on X, Y happens. And you say, well, I, I lost the money, but it was good process, right? I did the right thing, even though it was wrong because X was the more likely outcome. The idea that no matter what happens, as long as I'm betting on the base rate, I've done the right thing. This is the midwit fallacy. And they can prove it to you, right? Because they'll say to you, well, look, I'll give you a dollar if this coin lands heads, but you got to give me $2 if it lands tails. And if you say, fine, I'll do that bet. And then it lands heads and they pay you a dollar. They will say, I don't care that you won a dollar, you're up a dollar because that was a stupid bet. You risked $2 to win $1 on a 50-50 bet. And they would be right. They would be right. Because if you did that bet a million times, you would lose a lot of money. So they're correct because over time, that's a losing bet. So that was a bad decision. But that's only because the average coin is the same as all the coins. Every coin is the same. So of course, what's true on average, the bet you should make on average is the bet you should make in every instance because a coin is the same. Every individual thing in the set of things being flipped is exactly like the other. So of course, with decks of cards, with coins, with dice, this sort of probabilistic midwit thinking works. Of course it works. It's probability. It's math. Okay, that's, that's true. But most of life isn't like that. And they take that fallacy about the coins and they send it to things like people. And the example I had that was so obvious to me, but I, I was arguing with people on Twitter about this and they just couldn't even understand what I was saying. They'd say, oh, well, yeah, we, we can see that the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. This is like eight months ago. But it's the unvaccinated taking up all the ICU beds. So if you don't get the vaccine, yeah, maybe you're not more likely to spread it, but you're more likely to take up an ICU bed and someone else who needs it for some other reason or for COVID or whatever, won't be able to get one because you selfishly didn't vaccinate and you took up an ICU bed. You got sick because most of the people in the ICU beds are unvaccinated. So there's two lies there. One is that the ICU beds were a big issue beyond just that first March. By and large, they were not. Okay, they were not a huge shortage of ICU beds. But forget about that. People argue, I don't care. I think there are a lot of lies told about that. Two, even if there were shortage, let's just concede that. The other lie was that all the uh, people taking up the ICU beds were unvaccinated. Actually, that was totally false also because they were counting people who had already had one of the two shots or waiting for the second shot as unvaccinated. So it was, they were cooking the books as to who qualified as vaccinated and unvaccinated. They're even putting unknown people of unknown vaccination status who were in the ICU as unvaccinated. So they were cooking the books. So it wasn't even true. But let's just concede for the sake of argument that A, there was a run on ICU beds for the last two years, the whole time we didn't have enough. Okay, and people were dying because they couldn't access the ICU beds because selfish vaccinated, unvaccinated people were taking them up. Let's just concede that. And let's concede that it really was the unvaccinated uh, per capita taking up the majority of the ICU beds. So they say to me, see, so even though you're not spreading it more than me, you're selfish because you're taking up an ICU bed. And I would say, but I'm not taking up an ICU bed. I've never been to the ICU. I've never been to the hospital for this. So how, how am I selfish? I'm not taking up anything from anyone. They said, no, 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 you haven't been there yet, but you're more likely to. So they were, <laughs> it's like pre-crime, right? Like, oh, you didn't commit the crime yet, but I saw your post on Twitter and you're more likely to commit a crime. So we'll just arrest you now. So I'm already in trouble now. I'm selfish because I am likely, something's likely to happen to me. But how do they know that, right? How do they know that? Well, say, well, if you're unvaccinated and the majority of people are unvaccinated, then you're more likely. But what if the majority of people, what if the people who are unvaccinated, again, assuming this were true, which it was not, were all over 60 or all had comorbidities, were all obese or all had diabetes? How does that apply to me? I don't have any of those things. Oh, well, uh, there's some people like you. It's still more likely. Well, how do you know? 
Do you know my vitamin D level? Maybe nobody my age, my metabolic situation, and my vitamin D level ever went to an ICU bed. Maybe none of us ever did. Let's just say that were the case. Would I still be selfish for not? See, you don't know because I'm not a coin. I am very different. I'm different than the next person. I am not because just by the virtue of being unvaccinated is just one small incidental uh, thing I would have in common with these alleged people who took up so many ICU beds. But <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous that because we have this one thing in common that I'm somehow responsible for that. I'm not responsible for them or their life choices or anything else they do. I'm an individual. So you can't just say because of this one thing we have in common that, oh, and the stats show, and that's this. And this is a midwit fallacy. They're thinking I'm like a coin. And if the coin is, you get $2 for this coin on heads, on tails and $1 on heads, that thus every coin is the same. And this is a bad bet. It's not like that. We're all metabolically different. And there's no reason for you to think that I'm at risk of getting an ICU bed more than you. What if you're in worse shape than me and you took the vaccine? Maybe you're more likely. Maybe I can say to you, hey, you need to run on the track every day now because if you don't, you're taking up an ICU bed. And they would say, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to live my life around minimizing my exposure to ICU bed taking. Exactly, exactly. That's ridiculous. It's absurd. You could, you know, hey, your vitamin D level's low. You must take vitamin D. If you're not taking vitamin D and we show that, all, and this is actually true, that uh, people with low vitamin D levels were vast majority of people hospitalized for COVID that you're more likely to take up an ICU bed. So now I can mandate vitamin D too. I can mandate exercise for you too. I can take away your sweets. I can take away a bunch of stuff from you. You're no longer free. Your whole life now is to be an ICU bed minimizing machine. And this is how absurd this, this talking point was, but the midwits ate it up because they knew that they had already lost the argument on the spread. So they had to find out some other reason. There was some, got to, had to be some other reason for mandates for firing people. So they came up with this idiotic talking point. And so the same logic of, oh, well, you're part of this group because of this thing that you have in common. Therefore, statistically, it's this. And therefore, you need to do this because you're taking up an ICU bed. That was the argument. But this same argument is applied to race all the time. It's, what, it's called the racism of midwits. So let's say, and I'll just make this less controversial, blue people commit more crimes statistically per capita than red people. Okay? Let's just say that's a stat. Now, the midwit will say, no, that's wrong. It's only because blue people are mistreated by law enforcement and arrested at a higher rate. They commit the same amount of crime. The only reason they commit more crime is because the police. And then if, let's say, it's shown that actually, no, not anymore, the police are neutral, okay? Or even if it isn't, but let's just say, sake argument it is. They say, well, it's also because they've been oppressed historically and they're coming, they're more desperate. And he's arguing this stuff. And that sounds good because it could be that police arrest blue people at a higher rate. And it could be that their historical circumstances put them behind the eight ball in tough situations and more desperate. It could be true. But you see, the problem with that response is what it implies. It implies that if it were not true, if it could be shown that A, the police were not doing their jobs unevenly, and B, that, I don't know how this could be shown, but if it were, that historical circumstances with other groups were similar and that wasn't the predictive factor. That wasn't the decisive factor. Then the midwit is basically conceding, okay, they are criminals. If someone says they're criminals, they do this. And they say, no, they don't because of this reason and that reason. And those reasons get falsified. Then they're basically saying, okay, I guess they're criminals. But that, even if the blue people had no excuse for committing more crimes, and even if the blue people were committing more crimes, in fact, 
it would still be wrong to say blue people are criminals. Why? Because if there's a blue person named Joe who's lived a, he's a model citizen, he's never committed a crime in his life, why is it on him that a blue person named John has a rap sheet as long as the VAERS database? It's not his fault that somebody with a superficial characteristic that he's blue, that he shares with this person, is a criminal. That person, you could say, very honestly, is a fucking criminal. But the guy who never committed a crime in his life just because people who share a skin tone with him, that doesn't make him a criminal. He's an individual. He did nothing wrong. So you see how these midwits, by defending it as, oh, well, it's because of this or it's because of that, they're buying into the premise that blue people belong in a category, that unvaccinated belong in a category. These are not real categories. These are like statistical fictions. They're just created by people to make distinctions or to figure things out. They're not real. They don't exist in reality. Nobody is part of this group just because they share an incidental trait with the other people in the group. That doesn't make you part of the group. So this is the midwit fallacy. And this is the cause of racism. This is, it's that people say, oh, he's, he, there's some superficial characteristic he shares with him. Therefore, whatever is true on average of this group is true of him. That's bullshit. If a blue person never committed a crime, it doesn't matter what the average is. It makes no difference. You have to treat him as an innocent person because he is, because everybody's presumed innocent because they're not part of these groups. And, you know, this pre-crime thing, Tom Cruise had that movie, I've heard it was called, where they'd figure out that you were 99% likely to commit a crime based on certain characteristics that you shared with other criminals. And they would just arrest you before you committed the crime. This is it. The midwit is the pre-crime. It's what's true on average is like is more likely to be true. You're more likely to get an ICU bed. Therefore, even if you haven't had one, you're guilty. You're more likely to commit a crime. Now, of course, they're all woke and they would say, oh, it's, it's historical, whatever. But those explanations are bad. Those explanations are bad, not because they're not true. They may well be true in, in a specific case, but they're bad because they imply that if they weren't true, then the statement denigrating an entire group based on one common trait is okay. You don't make excuses. You don't say it. You say, it doesn't matter what the average is. It doesn't matter. Each of these guys is an individual human being. So you have these basically midwit racists running around. And uh, Todd Bowles, coach of the Buccaneers, said it succinctly and really put the kibosh on this kind of racism. They were asking him. He's facing the Steelers, Mike Tallman, uh, one of the other few black coaches in the league. And they said, is this special facing another black coach, one of the blah, blah, blah. And Todd Bowles said, hey, I have a good relationship with Tomlin. I have good relationships with lots of white coaches too. We don't really look at color. We're just coaching football. We're football coaches. And then another racist midwit reporter follows up. But yeah, you, you got to understand the importance of representation though, right? Like, you know, you, they look like you. They came from where you came from. It gives them the idea that people like you can succeed in coaching, whatever. And he's like, when you say people who look like me, you know, came from where I came from, he's like, he's like that makes me out to be some sort of oddball. He's like, he's like, that's just not the case. He's like, it's just normal. And the, as soon as you people, basically you midwit reporters who say shit like this, stop harping on about it, other people will too. And to me, that's the way out. That's the answer, right? He's just saying, look, I coach football. You know, I'm not buying into categorizing myself the way you want to categorize me. We're individual human beings. And of course, that's the way out. Of course, it's the way out. Everybody knows that. But you have this whole sort of and I don't think it's, I don't think it's accidental. I mean, Charles Barkley went on a rant a few years ago. I thought was great. He said, most white people are good people. Most black people are good people. He said, it's just these politicians that want to divide us. And of course they want to divide you because the, the nightmare scenario for the ruling class is people of 
disparate ancestry make common cause. Hey, look, we're both people. We're being kind of fucked over by our government. Why don't we get together and vote these people out or demand accountability for the inflation where they're basically printing money and devaluing our holdings? Like, why don't we get together and we'll have a lot more power that way? But the ruling class is a lot more powerful when the when its subjects are fighting amongst each other. They want you, they want you to dislike people who are different than you. They want this whole like, oh, you're guilty just by being white. That's a bad thing to be white. This whole movement, it's terrible. It's a horrible thing to hate immigrants, to hate people who are different than you. This is a terrible strain and they're perpetuating. It's not an accident. There's some organic racism. There's some stupidity uh, from people, but there's ignorance. But this is not just a, a totally organic movement, in my opinion. I think this stuff is fomented. I think they want you to hate each other. And then there's all these willing... Uh, best-selling authors and race grifters who step up and profit off of this. You know, they're backed, uh, I think, by the factions that want division in society because it suits them. So anyway, that was just another thing that I was seeing and talking about. And uh, I really enjoyed the Todd Bowles uh, succinct kibosh he put on that, that whole thing. A couple other things. So, so I've, been, I've been talking a lot, obviously, not just on this episode, but in general about the malfeasance of the pharmaceutical companies and the government's officials that are owned by them that enabled them. There's this thing goes so deep, by the way. Uh, I saw something. There's a PR firm called Weber Shandick. It's a giant PR firm for Pfizer and Moderna. And they staff the CDC office. Like, so there's a PR firm that works for these giant pharmaceuticals that is staffing, running the CDC office. So the conflicts are just so insane. The things that are allowed to go on right in front of our faces. And a couple of things kind of jumped out. So one is I got a tweet from a guy and he said, he said, the U.S. government has realized they are not accountable. Congress is forever deadlocked and useless to reverse any decision. And there's nobody left with a shred of power to call up a massive uprising. Look at the thousands of people who were laid off their jobs. So he was basically saying it's hopeless. Like I'm pointing out all this stuff and he's saying, yeah, 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 but it's hopeless. And I responded. I said, the notion that malfactors will never be called to account is part of the PSYOP maybe the most important part, demand that they be called to account and expect it to happen. And that's where I'm at. Fuck you. No, you're going to get called to account. And I'm going to remind people, fuck you. You're not getting away with this shit. Not, not as long as I'm around. And there's millions of people like me. And the psyop that, oh, we're powerless. This will never happen. That is, of course, what they want you to think. There was a clip uh, that this guy, Dave Collin, retweeted of Cindy McCain, John McCain's widow. And she's on some panel. And she said, Everybody knew what Epstein was doing. They all knew it. They all knew that he was doing, but they were terrified of him, probably because he was CIA or whatever. And then once the Miami Herald broke the story about sex trafficking these teenage girls, everybody was like, yeah, this scumbag, let's go and get this guy prosecuted. But there was like this spell over everybody. Everyone was scared. Oh, he'll never face justice. And, and he'll, you know, if I say something, I'll get in big trouble. So they didn't do anything. And to me, that's part of the psyop that, oh, we're really scary. If you say something, you're going to get canceled. And all you fucking assholes who participated in that canceling people who spoke out, you're part of the problem, right? So A, if you want to go after somebody, go after the people in power. Go after the powerful. The powerful is not somebody who voted for Donald Trump, who thinks the election was stolen and protesting on January 6th. Those are not powerful people. Don't, don't get it twisted. The powerful people are the people in media and government, the people in the cathedral, the people telling you how it is, the people that you're afraid to criticize. Were you afraid to criticize Trump to go on Twitter and say Trump was a lying scumbag? No, you were not. 
Are you afraid to say, let's go, Brandon, on Twitter? Are you afraid to criticize the Democratic Party to say that they're grifting, thieving scumbags? Yes, you are. Most of you. Many of you. Not all of you. What will get you more in trouble in your social and professional circles? Criticizing some MAGA Yahoo Republican or criticizing the CDC, the FDA? Who has more power? It's the people you can't criticize. So first off, don't enable the shit. If you're going to criticize someone, criticize someone powerful. If not, eh, maybe sit this one out. There's no point in criticizing someone that your tribe will applaud you for criticizing. That's not, that's not serving anybody. And you're probably, as many of these guys did, contributing to the problem where everybody's afraid to say something when, when wrongdoing is happening. So I think now that we have a window, and I'm just like scorched earth right now, now that we have a window to tell the truth, tell it. Send these people on the run. These people belong in jail. These people are truly did something. Not only did they, you know, I mean, they funded a virus. The virus leaked. It caused a lot of damage. They shut down the economy. They destroyed people's livelihoods. They forced medicine to people that didn't stop the spread. They lied. And now it turns out this medicine is killing young people in decent numbers. You want to follow a guy, an ethical skeptic, follow him and see some of the data diving that he's doing and some of the cover up that he's uncovering. It's, it's pretty scary and persuasive. Um, finally, I'll just leave on something. And I'm going fucking scorched earth. Fuck them. You know, like this is it. Like, it's not like, oh, you're, you're, you're obsessed with this or whatever. It's like, no, fuck them. What they did is so unspeakably horrible. I, I don't know why everybody's like, oh, I just want to pay attention to football. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to talk about this. I'm not interested in this. Dude, this is interested in you. It's interested in your kids. And the final thing they're doing, and this is Nuremberg level malfeasance. It all is, but this is probably the worst. This is happening today. A board of the CDC is voting whether to recommend adding this vaccine to the childhood immunization schedule. And this despite children who are basically at no risk from COVID. And there's obviously known side effects, which are coming out and will only come out more. And most kids have already had it anyway. So these kids have natural immunity and there's known side effects and kids are at basically no risk for COVID at all. And this thing doesn't stop the spread. And they're trying to add this into the childhood immunization schedule. CDC is voting on this. Now, the CDC says, um, well, you know, it's not binding. It's up to the states. Well, this is just recommendations. But many states base their what's in the immunization schedule on the CDC's recommendations. I don't know if they ever will again. But if I'm a board member of the CDC and I'm voting on this, I'm going to be well aware that this is Nuremberg level shit. If you add this to the children and people inject their kids because they need it to get to public school, and there's adverse effects, which there will be when it's done in this large numbers, and they didn't need it in the first place, woe to you. I would be terrified to vote for this thing. Even if I was a craven scumbag just doing the bidding of my masters in, in you know, the pharmaceutical companies, I would be terrified to put my name on this. This is the stuff that you get executed for at the trial. You, you got to be scared. I mean, if you are not just the dumbest person ever, you do not vote for this. So this is really a big thing. And we'll see how the vote comes out. I'm almost sure they're going to green light it. And the reason they're doing this, by the way, isn't because they even probably want to do this because this is going to open them up to whole, you know, horrible critique, but they're already in too deep, right? I mean, if it's shown that this vaccine has killed as many people as I think it has, they're in too deep because if it's proven, uh, they're already going to jail. So there's nothing they could do that. I mean, this is making it worse. It's adding it to the children and, and making it mandatory for them to attend school. But this is so fucked up. Uh, and, but the reason they're doing it is because when a vaccine gets put on the immunization schedule for children, liability is permanently waived. 
So this is an important step for them because I think they know what's coming. I think they know the liability is coming. They had the EUA the whole time to waive liability. And now they're doing this to permanently waive liability. I don't think it's going to work. I think the liability waiver will be, that won't, that won't hold up in the face of uh, proven fraud. I think they'll be able to show fraud here. I mean, this is the kind of thing that when you're in their position, you pull out all the stops and then you try to start World War III because that's what's going to take for them not to be accountable. They better have such a catastrophe in its place that this catastrophe just pales by comparison. And this is a major, major catastrophe. You should see this, uh, one of these doctors, he was a cardiologist who was vaccinated, who went on TV today or yesterday. His name is Dr. Asim Malhotra. Dr. Asim Malhotra, who went on TV today and he said, you need to suspend this product now. And that the uh, Pfizer executives had to have known the harm it was causing. So I don't know. Uh, this, I, think, I think we're at a point where fraud is being exposed and the, the only thing they can really do is foment a bigger crisis to distract from this. And I don't really know that that's going to happen. We have midterm, midterms coming up. I'll be very curious to see what happens there. But anyway, that's a long one. That's all for now. I got to edit this. Till next time.